Welcome. You are listening to the Mindful Minute, meditations created for everyday joy. I'm your host, Meryl Arnett, and my passion is making meditation accessible and enjoyable. This podcast is recorded from my live Monday night meditation class, where we have a brief discussion followed by a guided meditation. If you would like to access these meditation practices as standalone audio files for your daily practice, please subscribe to my newsletter at merylarnett.com. It's free and you'll receive a new mini meditation each week, along with behind the scenes content and bonus material for each podcast episode. All right, let's grab a cup of tea, a comfy seat, and settle in for today's practice. Welcome, guys, to another episode of the Mindful Minute. Today, we are doing something that I both planned and didn't plan, actually. So the next couple episodes, as you know, I am talking to former meditation teacher training graduates so that they can share a little bit about their experience in training, why they chose training, and how they're weaving it into their professional lives. Today, I am talking with Robin Minifee. Robin is a licensed professional counselor and yoga instructor in the state of Georgia. In her virtual private practice, she considers herself to be a holistic practitioner, which means she incorporates movement like yoga, hiking, or walking, along with mindful meditation and talk therapy. She's worked in substance abuse facilities, mental health facilities, accountability courts, and currently works in virtual private practice. Now, what's fun is as we started talking, I realized this conversation is really important, even if you're not interested in meditation teacher training, because what is valuable is walking away with the context of how a meditation practice goes hand in hand with the work that you might do with a mental health counselor or therapist or support person. A lot of times as we begin this practice, we start to tap into emotions, feelings, and stories that we have long worked to disavow, to hide, to numb in some way. And with Robin today, we talk about how bringing that practice and those feelings and stories into your therapeutic work really bolsters the container for you to move forward in your healing journey. So Robin and I talk about meditation and therapy going together. We talk a lot about her experience of signing up for teacher training, what her biggest fears were. We talk about her biggest takeaways and how she uses that training in her work today. And bonus, because Robin, it turns out, loves nature and brings mindfulness and therapy outside And I love nature and bring mindfulness outside. So we talk a lot about why nature matters and how we found healing in the natural world. I give a little teaser that I have added a little bit of this natural world connection into this year's teacher training. So we'll be doing some elemental work together. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. I loved connecting with Robin, and uh, you can find more information about Robin, where she offers hikes and her virtual practice by looking at the links in the show note. All right, let's listen in. 
Robin, welcome to the Mindful Minute. I'm so glad to connect with you again. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start at the beginning? Let's give listeners a little sense of who you are in the world and the work that you do. Okay. All right. So I am a licensed professional counselor I'm here in the state of Georgia. Uh, I consider myself a holistic practitioner. I have a virtual practice where I use EMDR as a modality. I use hypnotherapy as, as a modality because a lot of times um, I find that clients can't do just talk therapy. And so I like to include other types of therapy, including yoga therapy, of course, with movement, uh, walk and talk therapy. I absolutely love that one because it gets me from behind this desk mm. and it gets me all, you know, in the in the world and nature and everything. And so I just love the, the uh, profession of therapy. It, it's, I always say it's not a job for me. It's a it's a passion. And so. Mm. Tell me a little bit about walk and talk therapy. That sounds amazing. And I have not heard of that before. Oh, yes, absolutely. So walk and talk therapy is the same thing as talk therapy. We're just walking, you know, while we're doing it. And of course, you have to have your uh, confidentiality, you know, in there. And so with that one, there are a lot of safeguards around the therapist, you know, to make sure that the client knows that we're going to be out in the world. And so I am going to still try to keep your autonomy. However, we will be out in the world. There's been times where we've been out and the client will see a friend. They're like, hey, and I'll just keep walking because, you know, I'm not going to, you know, be in that space with them. However, um, all of my clients love it because it's bilateral movement. And so when you're doing bilateral movement, um, you get to process things a whole lot easier, a whole lot better. And so a lot of times I will see that um, compared to my just talk therapy clients, walk and talk therapy will, um, it's like a little rapid, a more rapid movement when it comes to processing any of the things that you bring into therapy and you're out in the sun and you're getting vitamin D. And so it's so many benefits to it. It's so many benefits. Mm -hmm. I think that is incredible. I love that. So I think close to two years ago, year and a half ago, maybe you did meditation teacher training. I'm curious what called you to do this training? Originally, uh, probably with everyone else in the world, you know, you're always interested in meditation and you're thinking, I don't know how to meditate because my brain won't shut off. Right. And so with uh, myself, I started meditating uh, long before um, and I even incorporated in my therapy practice. However, I still felt like I needed more tools, more um, learning, you know, more different modalities, all of these different things. And so I heard about you through, who knows, who knows, Meryl? I don't know. I know I heard it from somewhere. Someone praised you. And I was like, okay, oh, I know who. Um, someone praised you and they took one of your, um, it may have been one of the meditation trainings. And they said, you should definitely try this training. I said, okay, I'll, I'll try it. Um, and it, it really changed the way that I meditate with others uh, now. And I picked up lots of tools from the training that I use, still use today. So can I ask you, what was your biggest hesitation or fear before hitting that, I'm going to do it button? Oh, there are was, there was, there a couple. The biggest thing is, you know, you talk to yourself and you're thinking, okay, well, I already meditate on my own. What else am I going to go and learn? Mm. I was surprised at how much I picked up from that. I learned so much that... Um, I, I learned, uh, I took away a lot from that training. 
And so I'm glad that I did get past that initial fear. What else was I thinking during that time? It was such, it was a little while ago. And so I think that was the biggest thing. It's just that, man, what what else am I going to learn? Is is this going to be worth my time? That was a big part of it. Am I going to be able to stick with it? Because I believe it was like, you know, a few weeks and I'm like, oh, will I be able to stick with it? Will I be able to hang, you know, in there? I am good. I'm great at starting something. Finishing? (laughs) Not so much. And so I was like, God, am I going to be able to hang in there during that length of time? And I did. And it was wonderful. You did. I, was, I was upset when it ended. I was like, oh, no more. Goodness. <laughs> I'm always upset when it ends too, actually. I love being in that container of learning and sharing and exploring. You know, it's interesting because I don't know that I've ever thought about that fear the way you worded it. Like I, I already meditate. What else? am I going to learn? And that's, of course, that's a fear. Like that makes so much sense. And one of the prerequisites is you know how to meditate, right? Like this is not how to learn how to meditate. This is how to teach it, which is so different. Um, So I love that you named that fear. And I do think to me, at least the greatest joy is getting to dive under the surface right? Like there's the stuff we hear on the apps and I talk about in every single class, but then when you have the time and the space to say, actually, let's dig into what this really means. Let's dig into what's under those oh so common words that we use. Yeah. That's a great, you named a great fear. Thank you. Yeah, no, teaching is totally different than, um, than doing it on your own, even being able to learn from a teaching perspective and then incorporating that in your own uh, meditation. I think that was, I think that kind of leveled me up in my meditation a little bit. Mm. So absolutely. (laughs) I always think that it does change how we meditate when we have those foundational understandings. How did it change what you were doing with your clients? So with my clients, um, I think that one of my biggest takeaways with my um, clients is that initially when I was teaching meditation, I would just teach, um, I guess, the, the the foundation of meditation, like the breathing, you know, the being still, or I teach different types of meditation, walking meditation, whatever um, is beneficial for the client. Mm-hmm. Um, but setting that intention in the beginning, um, that was one of the weeks where we did like a breakout group. And we learned how to like read the passage. We learned how to incorporate that into something that is going on in, currently in your life. And so I've learned how to incorporate that with my clients and teaching them how to meditate on whatever it is that they are focusing on, whatever their intention is. And so mm. it really changed it up a lot. Mm, I love that. And one of the things I I aspire for in the training is you don't walk away with the sense that I need a script. I have to follow what I've heard before, but instead you feel safe enough to be like, actually, this is what my client or my class or my friend needs. So let's do it like this. I'm glad you found that creativity. Thank you. you. Is there, uh, if you had to name a biggest takeaway or benefit that you pulled away from the training, what would that be? Oh, you're making me dig back. I know. Sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness. Gosh, there were so many takeaways. I think that this setting the intention was the biggest one. Even I use it in my yoga practice. So I'm a yoga instructor as well. And so even when I am um, 
setting up the class and we're we're getting into our um, poses, I set an intention in the beginning of the class. Lots of times it's maybe like if we choose love, you know, I will read that passage at the beginning um, or I may use life, a life lesson as a um as a um as setting the attention and then i will lead the class off of that or if it's a client lead the client off of that and so i think that was the biggest thing that i took away was um was leading the leading with an intention you know having that intention what can come from that intention what what you can um take away from that intention also the different types of meditations of course i cannot remember them now but i remember you naming them in class and um and who your teacher was and who and um how you were able to teach you know that type specific type of meditation I have no idea about all of that you know it was so mm-hmm. much history that uh, we learned as well during that training and so it's great i love that um the the context of that yes. historical placement. I think it could be easy for that sort of context to weigh us down. I have to do it this way. I can't change anything. Mm-hmm. And I have really found that giving that context and then saying, and now you are it's a living tradition, you are carrying it forward. The way mm-hmm. that you work with your clients is continuing a tradition in a way that is fitting for you for your clients, for what's happening in the world today, yeah. not 2,500 years ago. Absolutely. I think that was a, a huge takeaway as well. Um, the way that the training um, um, went, it wasn't that, hey, this is what I'm training you on and this is how you have to do it when you go out on your own. It's, hey, take away from this, take away from this, whatever you need, and you go out and you use these tools for uh, however you need to use them, right? It's not just for one size fit all is however you need to use this. And so I think that was a huge takeaway because a lot of people do believe if I'm not in my Zen moment and if I'm not <laughs> like this, it has to be completely quiet. My brain has to be completely shut off. You know, I think that um, that they feel like they're, they aren't doing it correctly. And I think even the um, having the conversations with the different people in the group, hearing their story about their meditation practices, hearing their their challenges with meditating and things like that. You're like, oh, good. I'm not the only one. So (laughs) I think that was a big part of it as well. Tell me a little bit about your experience leading meditations or introducing meditation with your clients. Is it well received? Do your clients start to practice? How does that go? I mean, I have my stories too, so you you don't have to sugarcoat anything, but I'm curious how that feels for you in your work. (laughs) It is rather interesting. Um, Everyone usually will seek me out by my bio. They see that I'm a holistic practitioner. They see that um, I'm big on meditation and yoga and things like that. So they know what to expect when, when they come to me. Usually that is introduced early on in our, uh, as we begin our practice together, our sessions together. And um, some people are receptive in the very beginning. They're like, I've always wanted to learn this. You know, I really want to try it. And so the way that I introduce it, where I take away all of the the beliefs of society, they are more open to it because they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that I could do an eating meditation. You know, I didn't mm. know that I could do a, a walking meditation or just a sitting meditation. Um, I always thought it had to be this certain way. So they're really open to um, learning more and they will catch on pretty fast. And then you have those clients where it's a little bit more, I can't do it right. 
you know, this is just too much. It's just not for me, you know? And then I introduce other ways of doing it. And they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. One of the things that comes to mind is I, I do a monthly hike during the spring and summer months. Um, and um, it's a wellness hike. And so part of that hike is we will ground ourselves in nature and then we will walk, do a walking meditation for about five minutes. And then I'll turn and I'll say, hey, who out here has you know a hard time meditating? Everyone raises their hand. I'm like, do you realize you just did a meditation? He did a walking meditation. We were just quiet, no headphones, no distractions. We just listened to nature and took in our thoughts and all of those different things. And they're like, wow. I think I'm going to start doing this more often, you know? And so when you take away all of those, you know, beliefs around it, it makes it so much easier for them. I love that. I feel like that's really creative. It's a creative way to invite people into a practice that can seem very intimidating or very hard to do, right? Yes, there. So we were talking before we hit record that you and I both share experience working within substance abuse recovery. And one of the things that I've noticed in that work is when I'm introducing a mindfulness practice and what happens for all of us, right? Recovery or not, what happens for all of us is at some point in the practice, we're starting to tap into all the things we're trying very hard not to tap into, Mm -hmm. right? All of the things we're trying so hard to numb or ignore or pretend aren't there. And so creating that container for people to be able to say, actually, it's okay for me to feel this. I I am strong enough to feel the feeling. And so there's a way that I find that mindfulness meditation can go hand in hand with any type of um, therapeutic support. And one of the things that I talk about quite a bit is that often it needs the support of a licensed therapist or counselor to help you shore up that container. And so I I bring that up because I think it's lovely when I get to work with people like you that merge those two components all in one in one person. Absolutely. I I can't see doing one without the other. I, mm. I feel like they fit so well together. They it's like um it's like a relay race, you know, you tag, you you grab that baton and you can keep going with with the these additional tools. I think with meditation, um, especially when it comes to things like substance use with anger management, things like that, it helps clients to, as, as you mentioned with the container, kind of putting things into, it's not such a mountain. It, it kind of shrinks all of their problems down when they are able to kind of calm themselves, when they're able to ground themselves, when they are able to center themselves. When they learn this tool, it like changes the game. It really does. And it's like, why didn't I know about this before? Like, this is, this is amazing. I see how I react to things totally different. I see how I can, if I have the, um, the urge to use, or if I have the urge to really project and be angry towards someone, I can take those deep breaths. I can calm myself. I can recenter myself. I don't have to act on whatever that uh, behavior is that I, I am urged, having this urge to act on. Like meditation, I, I have really seen it change a lot of lives and it's amazing. And sometimes I think, wow, it, it did that for you? I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay, great, great. Right. <laughs> you, know, but you know that it has these, this, great power, but to see some of the changes in some people, it's just, it's amazing. It It really is. is. 
It is. Now you said something, I wasn't planning to talk about this, but you said something that I'm like, well, <laughs> first of all, we live in the same town and we should hang out because we have very similar interests. Absolutely. <laughs> like, why are we not hanging out all the I time? <laughs> I'm like, I want to go on your monthly hike. So one of the things that I have spent the last couple of years really focusing on is the connection between meditation and nature mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. way the two support each other. And this year, for the first time in my training, I'm going to start to incorporate a little bit of this connection that we have to the outer world, the way that it mirrors what's happening inside, the way inside mirrors what's happening outside. And because you said you do these hikes, you take people walking, you spend time in nature, clearly, I sense that you have you have the same awareness. And I'd love just to hear a little bit about what made you take clients outside? What, how, why do you do that? What called to you? What do you see from that? So you gave me chill bumps because <laughs> I've literally had chill bumps. I'm like, oh gosh, I love that you're going to do that. I feel like nature is medicine in itself. So I tell my clients, I said, you get your me- mental medicine cabinet, just how we have our physical medicine cabinet. When we go into our physical med- medicine cabinet, we may have a headache. So we go in for headache medication. We may have a stomach ache, you know, whatever it's in there. So what is in your mental medicine cabinet? Sometimes that may be nature. That is like, I have the biggest bottle of nature in my mental medicine cabinet. That's always my go-to. I started hiking on my own back in maybe 2017, 2018. And um, it was with a group of ladies in Colorado. And I realized the change in me. During that time, I was still grieving. Um, the passing of my father. Now he passed long ago. He passed in 2009. This is 2017, 18. I'm still carrying that grief with me. And so when I um, hiked with these women, they were just talking about different things, different reasons that they use um, nature. So I thought maybe I can go out there and let go of some of this grief. And so I went out in nature and I, I literally, nature took the grief and it's like, hey, we'll take this for you. You just go back out into the world and you, you know, go ahead and we'll carry this for you. And so now I say that whenever I go out in nature, I always leave, I use an explicit word, Meryl, I'm not going to use it here, but I leave <laughs> stuff out there in nature. And I always tell people, I'm sorry if you stepped in my stuff, but nature can take care of that for me and I can go on about my life. Nature has so many different benefits out there, just inhaling um, nature, inhaling the, the, the plants, inhaling the trees around us, touching the trees out there, being careful of what you touch because you don't know what's out there, but <laughs> being able to listen, you know, listen to what's um, around you, listen to nature talking to you. Nature speaks to us in so many different ways. You can get so, so many answers. And so a lot of times if I am feeling too overwhelmed, my friends will say, Minifee, have you gone on a hike lately? And I'm okay, I'm going. And they know, send me outside. And once I'm outside, I can release some things. I can let go of some things. I can also, I can get answers to a lot of things. And it's it's so healing in so many different ways. I can go on and on. I won't. <laughs> you and me both. I'm like, you're, I would say at those exact same words would come out of my mouth. Exactly. And I um, I'm very clear if I have not walked enough in a, in a week, I'm like, oh, I, f- I feel the weight of what I'm carrying. And it's interesting. I, I don't know if you have the same experience, but especially when I started, I didn't start walking with this conscious mm-hmm. 
I need to go connect with nature. It makes me feel like nothing. I just went for a walk, right? I mean, I'm sure I probably, in all honesty, I probably did it because I was like, this is good exercise. (laughs) And that connection, that realization, I don't even know that you need a teacher to say it to you, right? Like it, you feel it's tangible. And then when I took my meditation practice outside, I try to practice outside as often as possible. It was the same thing. Nobody said to me, go practice outside. But I had Mm -hmm. a teacher talk about the way the outside world mirrors the inside world. I was really curious about it. And I thought, I wonder what would happen if I sat outside and I sat outside and my practice continues to change because I sit outside. Absolutely. It it absolutely does. I'm a little, I have a little sunburn and everything. I just came back from Jamaica mo- Monday, mm. I believe it was. I was outside the entire time, of course. But there's one part of um, being in Jamaica that we all found interesting, the group that I went with, and it was the crickets, the way that they're, they're melody at night. It's not the same crickets that we hear here. Oh, it's interesting. A mix between a cricket and a bird. It is so, I literally recorded it to meditate to it. Oh. The first time I was back, I, I turned it on. I was like, I just have to hear it because it takes me back to that. But being out there, I would make sure I go out there. I think their sun would rise between five and five 30. Mm-hmm. I'm out there in the morning and I was out there in the evening, just listening to nature. You know, you may hear dogs in the background, you may hear cars, but it was the, the sound of the crickets and then just the wind just blowing. It was so amazing. It was so healing. It was, it was beautiful. And so yes, nature can mm. do so much, so much. And you named, I think the best metaphor of all is so healing, so beautiful and there are dogs barking and there are cars driving by. We sit and we practice and it's so healing. It's so nurturing. And there are thoughts running by the whole time, right? They don't stop. No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Robin, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for sharing a little bit about what you do in the world, how you weave meditation in. Thank you for sharing meditation with your clients and nature. It's so awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for your training. That training is really, really a game changer. It really can add um, a huge boost, whether you're um, meditating already or not, you can learn so much from that training. So thank you. Thank you for Thank you. I really appreciate that. Listeners, I'm going to link to Robin's website and her social media in the show notes so you can check out the work that she does in the world. Oh, I should ask you, I think you said you do virtual work so people could work with you even if they're not located in Georgia. Is that correct? If they're not located in Georgia, we can't do it as a licensed professional counselor because I'm only licensed in the state of Georgia. However, I do clients outside of Georgia under a coaching um, status. Ah, beautiful. All right. So lots of opportunities to connect with Robin. Um, You can find all of that in the show notes, as well as information about this year's teacher training. Thank you, Robin. Thank you so much, Meryl. Thanks for listening to the Mindful Minute. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. This helps others to find the show. And let's face it, we could definitely use more meditators out there. The Mindful Minute is recorded on Muskogee land and is produced with the support of Michael Sayhouse and Brianna Nielsen. 
To join my live classes, ask questions, or learn more about my teacher trainings, please visit MerrillArnett.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.